We're just listening to the house of mercy, waiting for the waters to stir. There is nothing pretty about Christian hope. Whatever Christian hope is, it begins in terror and utter disorientation in the face of the collapse of all that is familiar and well-known. That's James Allison. Yeah, very good. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I was thinking of something else, honestly, while you were talking. I don't care. <laughs> what I was thinking about, I was thinking about how grateful I am to everybody who came out today, and I want to welcome you all here, and all the users watching on the TV, welcome to you as well, uh, and listening on the podcast, and uh, yeah, welcome, and oh, if you need a program, you know, we've gone paperless, so you can just go to houseofmercy.org, and you can find this week's program right there. Also, an opportunity to, uh, to give. You can give there or by mail or the QR code located back on the uh, gift boxes. So uh, welcome, thank you, give us money. Just <laughs> <laughs> to sum up. Yeah, we have had so many wonderful band leaders at House of Mercy. Yes, we sure We've been have. so lucky, and mm -hmm. invariably, they always move on to something else. Bigger and better. I'm gonna say bigger, and I'm gonna say better. <laughs> As is now the case with Eric. Yeah. Um, we are so grateful that Eric jumped in after Quillen left in the middle of, I think, September 2019. That sounds about right. Yeah, and, yeah. and then, and you first he was leading with Amy Olson, and then the pandemic happened, and everything changed, and House of Mercy was so different. But Eric, you kept bringing us the good music through all the hard times, and we are so grateful for that. And so tell us now, you are going to go, you're doing a radio show on Jazz 88? Yeah, so I, I, I realized recently I can only subdivide myself so many ways. <laughs> so um, I play with the Royal Family Singers regularly. Um, I have my own band, the Urban Hillbilly Quartet, that Mike plays in, which is playing again. And then I also have a radio show that I do with Jazz 88. Saturdays, 1 to 3, and uh, it's, I just, uh, something I had to give. Well, um, I well, yeah, I'm also like a dad. Like a yeah, husband, oh, right. yeah, yeah. Another job. Yeah, yeah so yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. It's, been, it's been lovely doing this, and it's been a real treat for me to make music, um, especially with Henry and my daughter Eloise, and then lots of great people Jonah, Mike, Jeremy, Amy, Denise, Jim, all the different people who have come through Mercy Machine. Yeah. It's been, it's been a real treat. All right, well, uh, we will uh, we thank you. Next week is your last week. Next week's my last week. And uh, we will... Uh... And this week is actually Henry's last week. Okay. Yeah, we've right. heard Henry's retiring, but you seem too young to retire. Yeah. <laughs> no, he, he's been investing. He's been investing <laughs> from a very young age, and he's got, he's got a plan. <laughs> yep, he's got a yeah. plan. I hope we'll hear from you both once in a while again. And uh, we certainly will see you on the radio Saturday afternoon. That sounds great. All right. Hey, hey, we are I'm, uh, announcing on behalf of Ann Britt and the Youngster, Elder Youngster program on uh, the 4th of June from 11 to 1, there's going to be a Youngster event. Um, I think games, fun, and pizza. Games, fun, and pizza. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, those are the classics yeah. for Youngster events. And so uh, if you have a question, talk to Ann Britt, and I think you'll get more information about it um, from somebody else some other time. Mm -hmm. 
And also, we need teachers for the summer, so if that might be something that interests you, you could talk to either Ann, Britt, or Nancy. Um, yeah, think about it. We do need teachers coming up for the summer. Also, we need help. I was just talking to Phyllis. She's running the streaming program up there, if you'd want to do that. We need uh, actually a lot of uh, volunteers. When the COVID uh, happened and we all shut down, our volunteer, uh, what would you call it, the recruitment pipeline? I mean, that's what we call it in the office, right? Yeah, yeah. The recruitment pipeline kind of dried up. Uh, so we need to, to build back up. We need all kinds of volunteers. And have we got an opportunity to use? What's the date? June? June 12th. June 12th. We're going to have a volunteer past and future thank you dinner. So we will be recruiting heavily on that day. Um, but uh, we're going to have it. Uh, I'm going to host it at my house. I moved, if nobody knows. It's a perfect opportunity to snoop at the pastor's new house. Um, great prescriptions. Checking, checking the bathroom. Um, but for whatever reason you come, we're going to get you to volunteer. Um, so put that on your calendar, June 12th. What? After church. After church. Yeah. Uh, my house. You'll get more information from somebody else some other time. This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. Won't you please join me in the prayer of invocation? God of mercy, in the cloud, in the rain, in creation, in the morning, now for years, through the silence, our own shouting, through the wonder, slight understanding, you are present, always present. Make us aware of your presence now. Amen. Please join me in the prayers of community. I'll end each prayer with God in your mercy. And I invite you to respond, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for those whose lives are beyond our imagination, whose needs and suffering we cannot comprehend. We give pause to consider them and confidence that our prayers for them do more than satisfy our own need to cover the basis of compassion. For your ability to act, to heal, to restore is even further beyond our understanding. Let us act where we can and trust the power of your grace where we cannot. We pray for all of those people in our lives who are in need of physical, spiritual, or emotional healing. We pray for those who are mourning the death of a loved one. We pray for those who are dying. We pray for all of those who are sick, and struggling to recover. We pray for those who are in prison, those who are prisoners of addiction. We pray for those of us with mental illness. We pray for those who must undergo this time of isolation alone. We know that you are a healer and that your love and your mercy are beyond our imagination. All these who we name, 
who come to mind, we entrust to you. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, we pray for your forgiveness. We know that we have not loved you with all that we could and that we have hurt by intention or neglect those in our lives and those who move through our lives. We confess and we are confident that you judge us with your grace. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, join us now in this extended time of silence. Amen. Scripture reading today is John 14 through 22. Sorry, 14, 22 through 27. That's what I really meant. Um, okay, so Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, those who love me will keep my word and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I'm still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name will teach you everything and remind you of all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. The word of the Lord. Judas, not Iscariot, knowing Jesus is about to leave, asks, how will you reveal yourself to us? And Jesus says, we will love you, we will come to you, we will make our home with you. That seems lovely. Like, don't worry, we'll make our home with you. I mean, lovely, I guess, unless they're not very pleasant house guests. Like, as long as they're not super messy, you know, the kind of guest that stays in your house and leaves their stuff all over the place, or is demanding, or needing constant attention, loud, leaves the toilet seat up. Jesus says he will send the Holy Spirit who will teach us everything. Wow. And give us peace. Beautiful. Don't you want to be taught everything and be given peace? The scripture tonight seems simply lovely, so much like what I think so many of us need, peace and love. Yes, of course, please. 
There are so many things going on all around all the time, all at once these days that are not peaceful, that feel nothing like love. Violent, racially motivated massacres, the continual and escalating threat against women's full humanity, climate catastrophe, wars, the potential of nuclear war, that sense of disease between people of different political persuasions all around all the time, looming recession, we have loved ones who are sick or who have died, everyone's getting COVID, and there's so much confusion about where we are at in the pandemic, it's just not peaceful. And have you heard of the monkeypox? Wouldn't you love some peace, like some actual sense that there was nothing to be anxious about. I would love to be free from worry, although I barely have any idea of what that is even like anymore. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. It's pretty much exactly what I'd like to hear from the Holy Spirit, my God. But I think there are indications that the Spirit making a home with us, moving in with us, might actually be disruptive, something different than purely pleasant, simply lovely. The Spirit might actually be a sort of super messy guest, making our homes less comfortable, upsetting the order we enjoy, I don't know, emptying our closets, throwing the skeletons and the other stuff we've been hiding out in the halls, turning over couches, unmaking the beds we love to lie in. The bringing of peace and love and knowledge seems like it could be simply lovely. Until so you think of the story that this assurance that Jesus gives is embedded in. The reassurance takes on a sort of different quality when you think of the context. Because Jesus is on his way to a very violent death, the culmination of his ministry, his revelation, his murder. So, I mean, the words feel different than they might if they were coming from I don't know, a kind chaplain reassuring a family gathered around their loved one who's going to die soon, but who's being made as comfortable as possible, like soft music in the background, flower bouquets on the windowsill. In the story of Jesus, something very violent is about to happen. There'll be angry mobs and beating and hammering, nails and blood and betrayal and recognition of betrayal, shame, and forgiveness. So Simply Lovely might not be quite the vibe. The peace that Jesus is leaving with them, the spirit that will teach them everything, comes out of that. James Allison says, Jesus' dying breath on the cross, that is the breathing out of the spirit. So I guess it's not all flowers and morphine and peaceful passing. There is definitely something violent at the heart of this story, the gospel. And I think the uncomfortable, to put it mildly, revelation is that it is us. Humans, 
all of us. We are the something violent. We've liked to blame God or the absolute good or something for the violence, for the people we exclude, the enemies we make. We do it because it's what God or goodness or morality, what is right demands. Some people deserve to be cast out. The world would be better without them. But Jesus reveals a God who is utterly nonviolent, so thoroughly inclusive, so radically merciful that we see the retribution and the violence and the judgment, it's ours. The peace that the spirit of the crucified and risen Christ brings into existence has to do with us, humans, all of us, beginning to see what we do. Like how we might rather hurt someone than disrupt the comfort we find in believing that we're good, or at least on the right side, even if we're personally not that perfect, we're at least part of the good guys. We're not actually naturally very keen on seeing ourselves as intricately part of a social mechanism that creates violence, the scapegoating mechanism. I mean, I doubt, at least as far as I know, none of us has killed a Trumper, but we've probably participated in the belief that they are the problem. The world might be better without them. And maybe that seems harmless, but I think the cross is sort of showing us that that's not harmless. The Holy Spirit breathed out on the cross in Jesus' dying breath isn't exactly a soothing, minty, fresh breath. And breathing it in might not feel all sweet because it'll open up the closets and we'll see rivalry and judgment and self-defensiveness and disdain, the not peace and the not love that's been running us. And seeing that might be painful, but it's clearing the way for the peace and the love, for the unfathomable mercy. But when it moves in, it isn't necessarily comfortable. The Christian revelation, the gospel, as I think most of us have heard all along from fundamentalist Baptists to Lutherans to Catholics to whatever we are now, always involves confessing your sin, is how it's usually said, recognizing it. Sometimes we've heard it in ways that are laced with super unhelpful things, like it's weighted in a way that makes us feel bad about who we are personally or individually or something, like our bodies are bad or our mouths or our brains or our hands. We hear it like we're being accused. But the spirit that tells us everything and brings peace isn't the accuser. It's the defender, the advocate, the opposite of the accuser. The spirit of Christ reveals this unimaginably radical mercy. But that mercy is so all-encompassing, so for all. When we get a taste of it, we see how we've been unmerciful. And there's something painful, something heartbreaking in that recognition. There is something painful at the heart of the Christian gospel that can't really be bypassed. Otherwise, it'd be a different story. And I mean, the cross isn't a pretty story. And maybe we'll end up choosing a different story because we're not into that part of it. 
And I believe God's love and mercy, peace will sometimes, I believe it, will still come and not stop coming to make a home with us. Eventually, somehow, somewhere, sometime or out of time, and all will be well. But maybe we could hasten the peace by allowing ourselves to be broken open. The Spirit reveals both a difficult thing to see and the most beautiful thing to see all at once. And glimpsing that might be what it takes to create peace or let it flow through us or something. This revelation of a God who loves more than we can imagine creates in us the capacity to be more and more formed by that love and that mercy, which involves a coming out of the other, not love and not mercy, things that we are formed by. It involves a change of perception about ourselves and about our relationship with others. Jesus is creating for us a way out of our compulsive, infinitely wearying in its repetitiousness, rivalry, self-protection, defensiveness, judging, hiding, pretending, lying, sorting out the goodies from the baddies, this compulsive need to feel better than, which is a sort of violence toward other humans. Often mild, but sometimes not at all mild. I obviously don't know the young man who killed 10 people in a supermarket last Saturday in Buffalo. I only know what I've read in the news and from people who have read the manifesto that he posted. But what, from, what I, from what I've gleaned, and the fact that he was live streaming the massacre, I think it could be safe to say that he believed in what he was doing, was proud of it, in what is obviously to us some warped, horrible, twisted way, he thought he was doing the right thing. He, I take it, believes in white supremacy, in this conspiracy about white replacement. So non-white people pose a threat to his ideology about what is good. That he was scapegoating innocent victims could not be more obvious to us. It's transparent to us that what he did was evil. And it's just one example on one day of the horrors and violence that continue and can continue to come out of white America's refusal to acknowledge the roots of racial inequality. A refusal to reckon with our sin. But like I said, I don't know Peyton Gendron, if that's how you say his name. But if I had to guess, I think he's probably weak and scared and ignorant and a liar, at some level mentally ill or just entirely immersed in a racist lie. I also don't know the people who were murdered. My daughter wasn't murdered or my brother, or my husband. My life isn't threatened by white supremacy in the same way it would be if I wasn't white, though I believe all life is deeply diminished by racism and hateful ideology. I don't speak for anyone else, but I've thought about my response to this man. I can certainly get worked up into this sort of furious indignation against all those 
effing white a-holes. Racists and misogynists, like, they're not going to stop until everyone who isn't white is either locked up in prison or killed and until women submit to being subservient repositories for their evil right-wing sperm. I can hate them so much. Like, I can fairly easily jump on the bandwagon that is aghast at Marjorie Taylor Greene and Josh Hawley, and I just know these very bad people are the problem. But I can believe that the Holy Spirit might be more of a thing where it's like, wait, Debbie, are you in some way like them? Not politically, obviously, but is there something in my formation by the social order that is similarly eager to believe in my innocence, our goodness, me and my people over against those ignorant, evil others? I can believe that the Holy Spirit would be about undoing that impulse. And I can believe that undoing that might be the only way to peace. I don't own guns. I don't like them. I'm well-educated thanks to my privileges. I have health insurance and money to buy food. I own my home, and I have access to mental health care if I need it. I'm probably not going to go into a store and shoot people. But I think the spirit of the crucified and resurrected Jesus might reveal to me not how much better I am than that shooter, but more how interconnected to him I am. And that, as unpleasant a revelation as it is, would open up the possibility of peace, more than my feeling comfortable in my sense of superiority or in my sense that I'm not connected to him in his hatred. The spirit is a spirit of radical mercy, which might feel a little bit sometimes like I'm being rolled off the couch, which has been pretty comfortable for me, into the hands of God. And the usual things I meet might reach for to prop myself up are no longer available. It's disorienting. And yet, I am utterly safe in the hands of the ones who loves me. Loves me and my friends and my enemies and all the multitudes. Loves Donald Trump, George Floyd, Cain and Abel, David and Goliath, Aaron Salter, Roberta Drury, Geraldine Telly, Derek Chauvin, Vladimir Putin, Harvey Weinstein, Peyton Gendron. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. The body broken for you and for all people, for the forgiveness of sin. You've been listening to the House of Mercy podcast. You can experience all this live every Sunday at 5. Check out www.houseofmercy.org for all the details. House of Mercy is a church in St. Paul. You should come. It's not that bad.